Welcome to the Medicare Meetup. I'm Meg Kepke, and I'm joined by my colleague and co-host, Melissa Cohen. This podcast is brought to you by Arrera Health Group, where Melissa and I are building a mission-driven policy, strategy, and operations practice devoted to making Medicare better. As part of our Listen As We Launch effort, we're meeting with people we know and trust in the field and sharing those conversations with you. Some of the voices will be familiar, but we also hope a few will be new to you. Tune in weekly for fresh content and be sure to tell us what you think. On today's show, we talk with Sophia Tripoli, Director of Healthcare Innovation for Families USA. Melissa, I was thinking this morning as I was getting ready about what qualifies us to host a Medicare podcast. Hmm. Tell me, Meg. (laughs) Well, I I was kind of stuck in this brain space of thinking about all the hundreds, if not thousands of people and thinking about a few in particular who are Medicare experts themselves and may even be more qualified to be having some of these conversations. It it was that typical imposter syndrome stuff that we really don't allow ourselves much time for. But in it, this beautiful little question came up. Who does Medicare belong to? And I thought, is it the doctors? Is it the managed care plans? Is it the regulators? And none of that felt quite right. You know, they're all stakeholders. But I was comforted when I landed on patients and families. Medicare exists for and belongs to the patients and their caregivers. And that's why I'm so excited that we get to meet and talk with Sophia today. I love that. Medicare does belong to the people it serves. But I can't help but think that if patients and caregivers were better engaged in actually creating the policy improvements we need in Medicare, the program might look a whole lot different. No doubt. From benefits like vision and dental to drugs to the complication of parts A, B, C, and D and cost sharing and premiums, I'm sure we would see changes. Well, let's see what Sophia thinks about engaging patients and families in healthcare transformation and learn more about what she's hearing from their outreach at Families USA. Let's do it. Sophia Tripoli and I had the pleasure of serving together as co-chairs on the Healthcare Transformation Task Force Public Policy Workgroup where she was always a powerful voice of the patient perspective. At Families USA, Sophia is the Director of Healthcare Innovation, where she leads work on value initiatives. Prior to joining Families, Sophia worked at the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation and at the National Governors Association, working on delivery system and payment reform initiatives. Sophia, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us on the Medicare Meetup. Can you help introduce our listeners to Families USA? What is the mission and how would you describe your role there? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Families USA is a national nonpartisan consumer advocacy organization that is working to make sure that every living person across the country has access to high quality, affordable, equitable healthcare and the health they deserve. I am the director of healthcare innovation at Families USA, and I uh, work on uh, much of our work under our healthcare value pillar. Um, And so I work on sort of, we sort of have two tracks of that. One is around sort of what is driving the high costs and low quality uh, care we have in the healthcare system, sort of the underlying economic incentives, sort of what is, what is the price and why is it so high question. And then the other side 
of our pillar is really looking at the health systems transformation enterprise and creating new incentives to make sure that we're uh, meeting people's health needs. This has been a really tough year for a lot of people. Working with healthcare consumers, specifically enrollees in the Medicare program, what are some of the biggest concerns that you are hearing out there right now? It's a great question. I think probably the number one thing, one of the top concerns we're hearing from consumers across payers is the question of affordability. Um, Obviously, with the COVID-19 pandemic hitting and people losing their jobs, losing their health insurance, it's been a really hard year in a lot of different ways. And we, we really have seen the pandemic really amplify some of those underlying drivers of what's making people's healthcare uh, unaffordable and putting them in really difficult decisions where they have to make trade-offs between getting their prescription drug medication or buying groceries or going to see their doctor, or paying their rent and mortgage. The issue of affordability continues to be one of the top concerns for consumers and patients across the country. And then I'd say the other thing that we're hear a lot about is the question of care coordination. Now, obviously, it's not necessarily being phrased in that in that way, but really it's a question of making sure that patients are not falling through the cracks of the healthcare system. And I think I think a lot of folks continue to experience fragmented care, have difficulty connecting the dots to see a, a provider, getting in to see, you know, access to, to their providers, getting timely decisions, all things that the healthcare system and have been working on very hard over the last several years, but I think still a lot of work to do there to meet the needs for consumers. When I first started at CMMI, there was a bit of a debate. Should we try to educate beneficiaries about the value-based programs that we enroll them in, or is it just too complicated and it would only serve to confuse? What do Medicare patients, beneficiaries, what do they need to know about value-based care transformation? I think, you know, at the end of the day, patients need to know how to access their doctors, how to make appointments. You know, they need to know how do I contact somebody if I have an emergency, if I have a question to help me sort of troubleshoot and problem solve. Do I need to be seen? Do I not need to be seen? You know, they need to know, like, how much is this going to cost for me? And they need to have access to their healthcare data. I don't think most patients need to know, like, really nitty gritty details about, like, how am I being attributed to this ACO model or to this PCMH model, right? Like, they don't need to know that. They just need to know, like, I, you know, I'm in this, I have this care team that's going to that's going to meet my needs. They're going to be working around the clock or whatever the hours are, right? They're going to meet my needs and help make sure that whatever my health need is, it's going to be taken care of. And I think obviously like as patients are making selections about like the types of plans they can be enrolled in, or they're making a decision of those sorts, they do need to understand obviously like cost sharing information at that level, but also they need to, to be able to understand like, well, why is this uh, set of care coordination activities really good for me? Or why might this other option be better for me to help make them more informed decisions? So it's it's not a super clear cut answer. But I do think there is sort of a middle road of like not giving a lot too much information that's nitty gritty, that's really going to be kind of confusing versus making sure that patients have the right level of information that they need to be informed and to understand sort of what are their points of contact with care? And how do they make sure that they can access what they need when they need it, how they need it? Sophia, I'm curious about best practices in engaging patients and families. Um, True story, Melissa and I were working on a proposal recently, and we were adding a bunch of stakeholders to a list that had been pre-identified. And we were so proud of ourselves for thinking of things like states. And then we realized on our third iteration that patients were still missing from the list. And we give a lot of voice and lip service in healthcare to being patient-centered. And and I, I come from a family of healthcare providers. And so 
I know that patients are at the heart of what healthcare providers do, but I'm wondering what the best practices for engaging them are and how you think about that at Families USA. Yeah, I think there's a few different levels to that question. The first is, I think, when we're thinking about like model development and design and implementation, there should be a best practice. And I think we're seeing more of this from the last couple of administrations around engaging consumer and patient groups specifically and soliciting their feedback, whether it's through a listening session or whether it's through a request for information that is seeking comments from the broader public. But opportunities where the federal government, where CMS, for example, in this case, is really creating specific targeted opportunities to hear directly from consumer organizations, patient groups about concepts that they're considering or like sort of model designs that they're that are considering, considering up until the point, of course, when they can no longer uh, share that information publicly. But I think that's a really critical piece for engaging patients and consumers and understanding how new and existing models may or may not be impacting them and also helping CMS think through what's important to consumers and patients as their sort of care delivery system might be changing around them. The, the other point I'd make is I think it's really important for CMS, CMMI to be thinking about really moving away, not just away from, but moving forward and moving towards patient-reported outcome measures um, and making sure those are integrated throughout all of their models. I think right now we have a strong focus around patient experience measures, which are important, but I think patient-reported outcome measures are really one of the best ways and a best practice to be able to collect that patient-level data about their care and their care experience um, and whether or not that care is helping to meet what they've sort of defined as their health outcomes. And then I think the third, the third point I think is really thinking about, and this is something that we believe very deeply in at Families USA, care delivery models that create sort of community stakeholder tables where you know consumer organizations or represent, uh, representatives, community leaders actually have a seat at the decision-making table, at the policy-making table, and they're sitting alongside plans and providers and other sectors that influence health and have the ability to actually make policy decisions about how healthcare resources are being distributed or redistributed in certain ways to make sure that there's actually, those resources are actually being directed towards meeting specific community need. I think this, you know, we sort of see variations of this type of model in existence, but I do think that's a really, I think we think at Families USA, it's a really important way of engaging the community, engaging consumers and making sure they're at the decision-making table um, and driving community specific need um, where we know that, you know, health and healthcare is is really driven at the community level. And then the fourth thing I would mention is, um, I think it's really important to bring forward the stories of consumers. And we ha do a lot of this work at Families USA. We have a story bank program, a storyteller program, uh, where, you know, connecting actual, you know, you know, people with stories about how, what their experience is with, with healthcare, um, with policymakers, with other types of organizations, um, to understand what the impact of policy decisions uh, are on people's lives is really, really important way to sort of humanize the experience. It's so easy for us to sit in our, you know, at the it, in various policy conversations here inside the Beltway and to sort of forget that there's actually a very real human face on the other side of that policy. Um, so making sure that we're bringing those stories forward and sharing it as much as we can with decision makers is really critical. This country has great disparities in healthcare outcomes, which have only been exacerbated during the pandemic. Families USA is partnering with national and state health equity advocates and experts through a health equity task force. 
Can you tell us a little bit about what you are learning from those efforts and what the task force hopes to accomplish? Absolutely. The Health Equity Task Force for Delivery and Payment Transformation launched back in 2018 and laid out a very robust national policy agenda for centering equity in healthcare delivery uh, and payment transformation efforts. The work of the task force really focuses on highlighting and elevating the severe degree of disparities and racial inequity within the healthcare system. Um, And those issues have really taken center stage, uh, as you point out, in 2020 and now in 2021, where we've seen a significant shift in the political landscape regarding health equity uh, in response to the events of 2020. Both the COVID-19 pandemic, um, which laid bare sort of the very deeply rooted and pervasive systemic uh, health disparities, where we've seen Black, Latinx, and Indigenous communities experience significantly higher rates of infection and death, um, as well as the national movement demanding racial justice and an end to police brutality following the murder of George Floyd. The results of the efforts of the movement, the national movement over over these past two years, um, as well as the advocacy efforts of the Health Equity Task Force, have been a record number of pieces of legislation being introduced in Congress to address health equity, including the Black Maternal Health Mommybus Act, as well as I think one of the biggest ones, the uh, revised version of the Health Equity and Accountability Act. And we've also seen the Biden administration uh, include equity in their priority agenda from creating their own COVID-19 health equity task force and to a series of executive orders and reviews of agencies to um, to sort of a better address how equity um, is being integrated into, into agencies and programs across the federal government. Some of the key policy recommendations that the task force um, has been working on over the last couple of years, and we are now seeing reflected back in Two recent requests for information from the federal government was around moving the healthcare system towards collecting disaggregated data um, across uh, race, ethnicity, primary language, age, disability status, and as sort of a long list of demographic factors. Uh, And we're seeing CMS considering thinking about how they can actually move towards closing an equity gap, equity gaps across hospital quality programs. The other policy recommendation we've seen the administration um, take up is around stratifying performance and equity measures by a similar list of demographic data. And these, I think we see these two sort of policies as really critical to being able to move the healthcare system towards uh, reducing disparities and advancing um, health equity and racial justice uh, in healthcare delivery and payment. The pandemic has focused renewed energy on telehealth, digital solutions, and we hear some mixed messages about Medicare beneficiaries and technology. They're not Luddites. We should not assume they can't figure this out. And this is a brand new world and a lot of assistance is needed. Which one of these rings most true? And how does Families USA think about the need to support patients with new technology solutions? Yeah, it's a great question. I think overall we see like technological advancements and solutions as an, a huge opportunity to improve access to care, uh, to improve the quality of care for patients and consumers. And we have been really supportive of the expanded use of telehealth and virtual care during the pandemic and will, I think, continue to do so beyond the pandemic, um, especially where we start to build uh, additional evidence that shows um, a high quality, affordable you know, delivery of a, of a healthcare service. Obviously, as you point out, like where we start to get concerned is is around the digital divide, where we know that entire populations do not have access to these technical solutions. 
right? Where they don't, you know, they don't have access to broadband or they might not have the ability to navigate the use of technologies without the sort of, you know, support or education or training that they might need to, to do so. And we know that the digital divide really affects communities of colors, seniors, people with disabilities, and then of course, people living in certain geographic areas uh, among others. And I think, but I do think there are sort of a, a host of tools and policy levers that can be deployed to address the digital divide, to close the digital divide. Everything from, you know, a, a big federal ask of making a big investment into expanding broadband and fiber optics, which I think is just probably one of the most critical things uh, to expand access to technological solutions and, and virtual care. But also in thinking about care delivery and, you know, payment reform, incentivizing and uh, integrating the use of um, support professionals, e-health literacy professionals who can be part of care teams that can actually help provide some of that one-on-one -on -one education to support patients, to help them navigate the technology um, and have access to sort of someone, you know, on demand. There's also other models where folks have used the community health worker uh, model where community health workers are actually deployed to, to homes with preloaded tablets, right? And sort of get around some of those those barriers of access to broadband, access to the technology and sort of show up at the house at the time of the appointment. It's like, here's your tablet. Here's how you log in. Um, here's how you talk to your doctor. That makes a lot of sense. So we have promised our listeners that this is going to be a 15 to 20 minute podcast and we keep going over. So I'm going to finish with our <laughs> last question. We've been asking this to all of our guests. What is the one thing that you know now that you wish you knew back when the ACA was passed? Yeah, I, <laughs> this is a, this is a hard one, but I think, and it's it's not something that was not known at the time, but I think something that we have a better, a, a much clearer sense of now. But I think just the for, affordability issue, and obviously, many folks at the time of drafting the ACA anticipated that affordability might be an issue down the road. And obviously the political pressure to keep the price tag of the bill under, I think, a trillion dollars it was at the time for certain decisions to be made, particularly around like high deductible plans and, and, and so on. So I think that's probably the biggest, one of our biggest hurdles right now is really solving the affordability question. And I think one of the ways, and it's not easy, uh, that, I, that we have to sort of really take that issue head on is, is starting to think about and address high and rising healthcare prices, the underlying unit price uh, of a healthcare service. <laughs> it's the price is stupid, right? Ray Reinhardt told us almost 20 years ago, right? And he's rolling over wherever he is, right? And <laughs> thinking, uh, why didn't anybody listen to me? But I think the moment, you know, it's, it, we're really coming to a head here and we're seeing it on prescription drug pricing. Um, and I think we're seeing it in other sectors of the healthcare system as well, where um, we need to sort of rein in uh, the underlying costs of healthcare. And, and I think provide some much needed relief to consumers and, and families around the country. Sophia, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Uh, to learn more about the work of Families USA, visit them at familiesusa.org or follow them on Twitter at Families USA. We will have no meetup next week. Have a wonderful 4th of July holiday, and we will return with new content on July 8th. Thank you very much, you guys. Well, that's it, listeners, for this week. Thank you for joining us for the Medicare Meetup. If you liked what you heard today, be sure to tell us. Share the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Arrera Health. That's A-U-R-R-E-R-A -R -R -E Health. If you have questions or thoughts about future guests, reach us at Medicare 
at herrerahealth.com. Finally, before we go, have you hugged your Medicare loved one today? No? Do it now. Hugs are back. Medicare is destination health coverage. We all end up here if we're lucky. But isolation isn't the destination we want for ourselves or anyone we love. So reach out. Send a text or send mail. People love mail. And until next time, this has been Megan Melissa with your Medicare Meetup.